Hi, welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I have got two episodes up today. The other one's a story, and this is more educational. If you haven't grown up in Christianity like I did, you may have wondered what is the Bible, or what do you mean when you say the book of 1 Samuel? If so, this episode might clear that up for you. When I was growing up, I sort of took the Bible for granted. It existed, it controlled my life, and that was basically it. Then I realized sometimes what the pastor was reading sounded kind of like what my Bible had, but wasn't the same words. That's when I learned about translations. I grew up using mostly the NIV, the New International Version, and the attempt at putting the Bible into more plain language than than the other most popular version, the King James Version, also known as the KJV. I used that one a lot too as a kid, and it sounds really old with words like thee and thou and dost and stuff, because it is old and languages change. When my spouse worked at the Bible bookstore at a Bible bookstore in college, some people would ask for the Bible the way Jesus spoke it, meaning usually the King James Version, which was translated actually around Shakespeare's time. Of course, Jesus didn't speak that old style of English any more than he spoke any other form of English. The English language didn't even exist yet when Jesus was alive. Also, the Bible didn't exist yet either. It might help you to understand some things about Christianity and these stories if you understand what the Bible is. The Bible, specifically the Holy Bible used by Protestant Christians, is a collection of a lot of smaller books written by a lot of different people over the course of hundreds of years. You can probably get more specifics online, but um, the answers are probably going to vary depending on who's talking, too. Some of these books are very short. There's one that's like a page long, uh, and some are much longer. No, there's, there's multiple that are just like a page long. Anyway, then the books of the Bible are divided into two sections. There's 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. If you don't know what those are, I'll get to it. On average, the books in the Old Testament are longer. Then the books get further divided into categories like poetry, history, and prophecy. The books of the Bible all have separate names. Many of them are named after the person who is thought to have written the book. Others have names that refer to what or who the book is about. Some of them aren't named after people at at all, but are more about the subject of the book. Sometimes there's more than one book with the same name. For example, the two books named after Samuel, which we call first and second, the first and second books of Samuel, or just first Samuel and second Samuel. Interestingly, Samuel dies at the end of first Samuel, so I'm not sure why the second book of Samuel is called that. The way the Bible is organized and how the books are named can sometimes be confusing, and typically it's just the kind of thing people accept without thinking too much about it. The story of God creating the world that I told in episode 1 was in Genesis. In the Jewish religion, Genesis is part of the Torah, the first section of the Hebrew scriptures, which are also the first five books of the Christian Bible. In Christianity, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. The David stories I've been telling are also from the Old Testament, from the first and second books of Samuel. What Christians call the Old Testament is taken from the Hebrew scriptures called the Tanakh, but there are differences in what is included in them and how they're arranged. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, with some bits in Aramaic. Those are the languages, that is. The Bible wasn't written as one document. In fact, each individual book isn't necessarily its own document, even. Some have sections other copies don't have. People had to decide what of the smaller books counted as canon for the Bible, and which which version of the book they should include, since they were copied many different times, and some versions have bits that other versions don't have. And then Catholics disagreed with Protestants, and I think there's other versions... And uh, Christians don't agree on what the Bible means or how the story should be told. They don't even agree on what is the Bible. 
I keep saying books, but to clarify for Christianity, books like Genesis and First and Second Samuel and the dozens of others, they're all books that were written separately, but they're packaged together now and they're sold in one bigger book that we call the Bible. It's usually printed on very thin paper, I think because it would be such a huge book otherwise. And sometimes it has a nice leather cover with gold embossing and sometimes gold paint on the edges of the pages to signify that it's a special book. Now, those books within the Bible are separated into two categories. The first is the Old Testament, as I was just explaining, and the second is the New Testament, which is much shorter. The New Testament was mostly written in Greek, with a few tiny bits in Aramaic. The characters in the New Testament would have mostly spoken Aramaic, which my spouse tells me because he's actually studied church history. These stories would have first been spoken and then later written down into books and then later copied down by hand by scribes many times over, like most ancient books. Sometimes confusion and errors creep in because that can happen when people copy something by hand and then they copy the copy and then they copy that copy, etc., etc. Now, these copies wouldn't have been the whole Bible, just the individual books. Then much, much later, people had to agree as to which of the individual books we had would be included in what they call the canon of the Bible. And the Bible had to be translated because most of us cannot read ancient Hebrew and Greek or Aramaic. The stories of our English translations are long and occasionally fascinating, actually. And there are a couple, no, there's dozens of English translations, each made by a different group of people with a different agenda, translating according to their beliefs about the world and God and humans. There was a big uproar a few years back when a recent new translation used fewer words like mankind and brotherhood and more words like people and tried to avoid gendering to masculine things that weren't masculine in the original text. So um, a lot of English translations will use he, him, men, mankind, and such when the Greek they're translating actually uses gender neutral language. That is to say, for example, most English translations use men when people would be a better match for the Greek word. Because people in conservative American Christianity really like their patriarchy, which is to say, you know, when men are in charge, they get mad about something that's more accurate to the text because they think it's coming from a feminist agenda. They don't even see that they have their own agenda that's given them a translation that's not quite as accurate. Sometimes old men who call themselves the Gideons, it has to be men, I'm pretty sure they don't let women join, they might visit your school to hand out tiny little copies of the New Testament, and only the New Testament, in bright colors like orange and green, and they're usually a specific translation called the King James Version. Some people think that's the, the most godly version for complicated reasons. Also, it's old, and also, it's in the public domain, so you don't have to pay anyone royalties to use that translation. That's significant. They do the New Testament because that group thinks it's the most important part of the Bible because it's got the parts about Jesus. Also, the New Testament is way shorter than the Old Testament, so it's way cheaper to only print that and give hundreds away every day than it would be if you did the entire Bible. If you ever stay in a hotel room, you should take a peek into the drawers. You'll probably find a Bible there put there by the Gideons. At least that's how it is in every hotel room I've ever been in, ever. There is some irony, I think, in calling themselves the Gideons, since Gideon was a character in the Old Testament, and most of the time, except in hotels, they only give out New Testaments. The other irony, of course, is that Gideon in the Bible was an underdog, and the Gideons I've met are mostly white American businessmen with time and money to spare, so really not underdogs. But I will get to the story of Gideon at some point, because it's a lot of fun. As you probably know, Christians worship Jesus, and the Bible is their holy book. 
Jesus Christ doesn't show up until the New Testament, although some Christians have retconned the entire Old Testament to say it was really all about Jesus and that Christianity is the fulfillment of Judaism, which I was taught as a kid. It's kind of a problem to take the holy books of another religion and then reinterpret all of it to be a setup to what you think is actually the important part of your religion. I learned as an adult that this teaching that the Old Testament is really about Jesus is anti-Semitic. That's the word for when something is hostile to or prejudiced against Jewish people. Of course, Judaism, Jewish religion, still exists and is still changing, even though the Christians I grew up with which it weren't, because it would make the story they tell about Christianity so much simpler. That's also anti-Semitic. Some Christians don't think the Old Testament is important at all, and some think it's just as important as the New Testament because they believe every part of the Bible was written by God guiding someone's pen. In my experience, those people often don't want to talk about scribes who made copies of the books or translators or people arguing about canon, as that can bring up questions as to exactly how much micromanaging does their God do in the production of the final product of the Bible. I've diverged from my subject. I was talking about the New Testament of the Bible. There are fir the, the first four books of the New Testament are called the Gospel. Everyone told me that Gospel means the good news. It's actually from an old English word, God spell. The God there doesn't mean God, it actually means good. And the spell means um, story or news. So uh, the good story. When Christians say it's the good news, they're referring to teachings about Jesus saving people, and that gets kind of long and convoluted, so we'll get into it another time, or you can ask your parents. The four books of the gospel, or the four gospels, are the stories of Jesus' life and death, told in four different and occasionally contradictory ways. The Gospel of John was supposedly written many decades later by John, who was one of Jesus' best friends. The Gospel of Luke was written by someone who wasn't there but considered himself as something as an investigated journalist trying to get to the bottom of the story. And then the other two were written by another one of Jesus' disciples and um, a, someone who was a member of the early church. Luke and John were also written decades later after the events supposedly happened. And as I said, each each account uh, claims to be true. It claims to be a true account of all that happened with Jesus, but uh, they're also all different, and sometimes they'll tell the same story different ways. And that's just the first four books of the New Testament. If you ever hold the Christian Bible in your hand and pitch in your fingers the books that are about Jesus, you might be surprised at how small it is compared to the rest of the Bible. The four Gospels are only about one-tenth of the pages. Then the rest of the New Testament is about the early church and how they thought they should live considering what they believed about Jesus and God and the world and people. A lot of it is letters, people telling other people how to behave. It's really good for preaching bossy sermons, but most of it doesn't have as much material for interesting story times. So I guess I'll be telling a lot from the Old Testament. The book of Acts in the New Testament, though, is interesting. It's about the Acts of the Apostles. I told you the name of the Bible books are weird. I did mention that the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures are similar but not the same. To make it even more complicated, there's not just one Christian Bible because there's not just one Christianity. Catholics are another type of Christianity and they have a somewhat different Bible too. Protestant, most non-Catholic churches and church groups in America and Britain are Protestants. Um, they broke off from Catholics a long time ago. In fact, you could say the big split began on Halloween because one man named Martin Luther didn't think Catholics were doing Christianity correctly. 
This is not Martin Luther King Jr. from the American Civil Rights Movement, mind you. It's a different Martin Luther, a German guy from a very long time ago, but he did have some stuff he wanted to protest. He protested by nailing a bunch of arguments to a church door on Halloween 502 years ago. That eventually caused a massive church split between Catholics and the protesters who got called Protestants. Get it? Protest. Protestant. Which later led to more splits. Fast forward a few hundred years, my mom didn't even think Catholics were real Christians, and I wasn't allowed to read the Catholic Bible, even for educational reasons, because despite that it's mostly the same, my mom thought the differences were very dangerous. Not all Christians are like this about other Christians, but some of the most conservative ones are. There are many denominations of Protestants. Southern Baptist is the one I spent the most time in. My mom did think that Southern Baptists were mostly real Christians. They are a denomination because they have a big group of churches who have people, mostly men representing the churches, agree on what everyone in the combined church should believe and how they should act. They even have their own schools where they train people to be pastors and leaders in the church. The denomination usually tells the individual churches what to teach. A non-denominational church is one that isn't part of a big group of churches organized like Southern Baptist churches are. Sometimes a denomination can have big arguments. One that I've been hearing about in the past couple years is the United Methodist Church, who's been arguing about LGBTQ rights, things like if gay people can teach in the church. That can cause a problem because many individual churches and many, many individual church members want equal rights and love for gay people. Then they have to argue with the people actually making the decisions who are in power and usually older men. The people with less power want more justice for LGBTQ people. Um, They have to argue and protest to try to make the church something they think it should be for everyone. I'm not a Christian, but I support my fellow queer humans who are fighting for rights so they can stay and help in the churches that they love. Sometimes churches break out of their denomination over disagreements like this because churches are made of people and people are constantly changing and they don't always get along. In America, most Christians are either Protestant or Catholic, but there there are other versions of Christianity practiced here and in the rest of the world that I don't know very much about. There's actually a really pretty Greek Orthodox church in my city in California, and we went there one day for a Greek festival and ate some really good food. The church was fancy with beautiful rose gardens outside and and a nice lawn where the festival was. It was nothing like, you know, the famous Notre Dame Cathedral, but I think there's a similar concept that the place where you gather with others to practice your religion should be special and beautiful. That's an old concept just in humanity, not just Christianity. A lot of the most famous old buildings around the world were religious in nature. Even Stonehenge, the large standing stones in Britain, were probably part of some kind of religion. Nowadays, famous new buildings are often connected to businesses, which is an interesting thing to think about. The Greek Orthodox Church was giving tours the day we went for the festival, but we couldn't go inside because we weren't dressed in nice clothes and it would have been disrespectful to the people to go inside a space that's so special to them in shorts and sandals. I don't think there's a god I could offend by wearing shorts, but I care about people and hurting or worrying them. Also, the sign said shorts and sandals weren't allowed. The church my husband grew up in was a tiny Southern Baptist church, nothing like the huge fancy building with the gold dome on top for the Greek Orthodox Church, but they still did expect you to dress nicer for church than on normal days out of respect, although there wasn't an official rule about it. I'm not sure to whom that respect is shown. Did they think God cared what type of pants you wore, or was it just the old people in the church that cared? At any rate, when we went, we usually wore nicer clothes than we would wear, like, to school or... Well, maybe not to work, to 
depending on your work. But anyway, nicer clothes than you'd wear to go to the park or whatever. There are lots of ways people can be Christians, but most of the stories I tell will come from what I was taught as a conservative Protestant Christian in, nom in non-denominational and Southern Baptist churches. I actually had this really beautiful children's storybook Bible with pictures that my granny gave me. Um, and my mom made me get rid of it because it was published by a Catholic company. And you remember I said a minute ago that my mom didn't think Catholics were real Christians? She was afraid that the stories were told with an agenda that would be against the agenda she wanted. That memory is part of why I've started telling these stories in this podcast. My mom thought a book by Christians who weren't just the right kind was so dangerous she threw it away. But uh, the approved versions, you know, the versions she approved of didn't have any less of a bias. Every Bible translator or publisher and every storyteller, including me, makes choices that are part of an agenda that are based on some bias they have. My agenda is to educate without trying to guilt kids into making big religious decisions. I'm also telling stories through a bit of a critical lens at the same time. So if y'all or my kids do encounter these stories being told by people trying to manipulate you into becoming Christians or saying things about the Bible says don't be gay or women can't be president, then hopefully you'll understand the biases at work in those arguments and you won't be as easy to manipulate or frighten. I know this probably isn't the most fascinating episode this week, but I hope it's at least somewhat informative. There will not be a quiz later. If you ever want to feel really angry and indignant, you could ask me about how the Southern Baptist Church denomination was formed. I'm definitely not an expert on this stuff, but if I get any questions, I might be able to have my spouse, Luke, yeah, like the gospel, I might be able to have him on here, and we can talk more about this stuff for another special episode. If you haven't listened already, I do have another story episode up today about Elisha's magic skeleton. You can give it a listen. Thanks for listening to this week's special educational episode on Bible stories for heathen children. Come back next week for a spooky Halloween special. It's, it's not really going to be scary. It's just going to be fun. As usual, you can find me on Patreon or Twitter, or Facebook. Support me on Patreon if you can. Even just a dollar a month would be helpful. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. Until next time, shine on, Star Child.